Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. And though many of us are familiar with this amazing story, uh, may we have new and fresh insights to your wonderful grace and your mercy and your saving power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Not sure if you realize it, but Judy's a twin. Uh, and Judy's twin's quite a traveler. Currently, Josie's working at an international school in Chiang Mai in Thailand. And just to show you what a small world it is, Josie and Sandy Potter will often catch up for a coffee in Chiang Mai. In fact, there's a wee bit of attraction because I understand Josie's apartment complex has a rather nice swimming pool, which Sandy enjoys as well. In 2014, Judy's twin sister was teaching at an international school in Benghazi, Libya. This was a time of great uncertainty and much bloodshed between warring factions. The escalating fighting became so bad that embassies organised evacuations, the rescue of hundreds of expats from the country. And so these were tense times for Josie's. Uh, her and the rest of the teaching staff made a dangerous five-hour bus trip on roads that were quite wild to a small airport. And then they got on a plane and flew to the capital, Tripoli. They had to wait in a safe house before they could then fly out at midnight to Rome and then London. And so imagine the family in New Zealand very relieved when we heard that Judy's twin sister was safe in London. Now, there's something about a rescue mission that grabs our attention, doesn't it? Especially when it's personal. And much is at stake. And we know that not all rescue missions are successful. And so we're gripped. And then we come to the greatest rescue mission of all time. No wonder we're interested in what's happening when it comes to the Bible. From Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve rebel all the way to the end, to Revelation, then what we have is a rescue mission. On every page, every book of the Bible, we have the rescue mission of God being played out. It's God-initiated. The rescue is God-directed. It's God-accomplished. It's a rescue from him to us. Without a doubt, it's the most audacious rescue in the whole universe of all time, and you and I, are involved. And as we look back into the Old Testament, it's hard to overestimate how important the Exodus is, this escape from Egypt, for understanding the great rescue, the rescue that we're involved with. For in Exodus, the pattern is set that foreshadows the ultimate rescue mission and our own escape. So this morning, as we look at the escape from Egypt, we're going to see three things. Uh, We're going to ask three questions. First of all, what were the Israelites rescued from? And what are we rescued from? Second thing we're going to look at is how were the Israelites rescued? And how are we rescued? And finally, why could the Israelites be rescued? And why could we be rescued? So those are the three things we're going to look at today. What were the Israelites rescued from? How were they rescued? Why could they be rescued? So the first thing, what were the Israelites rescued from? Not a hard question, really. We've been following it. They've been rescued from bondage, from slavery. The bondage was cruel and harsh and bitter. Their lives were miserable from woe to go, from sunrise to sunset. However, however, moved by compassion, God commissioned Moses at the burning bush, sent him back to Egypt. 
And then there were nine plagues. And then there was the tenth. And the tenth was devastating. It was the death of the firstborn of all of those who did not shelter under the blood of the Passover lamb. And Pharaoh was devastated. And straight away that night, before sunrise, Pharaoh demanded that the people of God, the Israelites, leave. And the Israelites were prepared. They were packed. They were ready to go. So in the dark, they left. And miracle upon miracles, all of those who had shouted under the blood of the Passover lamb were now free from slavery. However, there's a twist. Freedom from slavery, freedom from bondage, is never as simple as packing your bags and crossing the border. And we see this in Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 and 8. Exodus 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, What is this we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us. Verse 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly or were going out boldly. So after the initial shock of the loss of their firstborn, Pharaoh then realizes that his labor force is gone. So who's going to finish his major building projects? So Pharaoh makes a move to take his slaves back by force. And it's the same with us. Whatever held us in bondage before we are Christians still wants us back, even after we've been rescued from slavery. So we might have been rescued out of an addiction or a immoral lifestyle. You know, we might have had problems with anger or manipulation and relationships, whatever, whatever. And it isn't long before our old slave masters come calling, wanting us back. Even those of us who were saved from less dramatic fashion, this happens. I mean, whatever, before we were Christians, whatever our disproportionate focus, our disproportionate love was, well, it wants us back. And it might have been our career. It might have been family or a special relationship. Whatever we had our focus on in a disproportionate way before we were Christians, well, that starts to whisper in our ear and starts to call us back. And we kind of see this in the reaction of the Israelites. Those, remember, these guys are free. They've been released from bondage. But look what happens when they see that Pharaoh and his soldiers are coming near. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. (laughs) You see, even though God's people were technically free, they were not free in themselves. You can rescue a slave out of slavery, but only God can take the slavery out of a slave. And we see this so clearly in the passage, don't we? I mean, who? what had just happened to the Israelites? I mean, they'd forgotten everything. They forgot who had just rescued him. They had forgot who was it that sent the ten plagues. They forgot that God was on their side. 
because they were still slaves on the inside. And so they cry out in fear. Now, this is not the last time the Israelites will have collective amnesia. They will forget the goodness of God. This is not the last time they will rebel against Moses. And it serves to underline an important principle about freedom from slavery, that it may be easy to get the slave out of slavery, but it's never easy to get the slavery out of the slave. Let me give you an example. Imagine that you're a slave in the United States just before slavery was abolished. Now, as a slave, you couldn't vote, you had no power. Someone could beat you up. Your slave master could even probably kill you and you'd face no legal um, response. You'd be above the law. So as a slave, you had no rights. And so if you went into town and a white person tells you what to do and is abusive, then you fear for your life and you'll do what they say. Now imagine that uh, 10 years later and all the slaves are free. You have rights. You're under the protection of the law. And you go into town and a white person starts yelling at you. Even though you know in your head, you say, hey, I'm free, I have rights. You're still scared. You still remember what it's like to be a slave. And this is the condition of every Christian. We know that we're saved in our heads, but often in our hearts and our lifestyle, we just don't know that yet. Objectively, we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but subjectively, we still feel that we are enslaved. Yet God has freed us from these things. It's just that the Holy Spirit hasn't worked it out in our lives. And sometimes it takes a wee while. So we might have had a major problem with anger and it might derail our career or our relationships and anything like that. We become Christians and there's an improvement, but then our slave master keeps calling and we start listening. And we need to throw ourselves on the mercy of God. And the Holy Spirit will teach us what it is to be free. And we see this too. The good news is God does not leave us in this state where we have our old slave masters continually on our case and powerless. We're not stranded on the wrong side of the Red Sea with our old slave masters in control. For just like for the Israelites, God comes through. He rescued the Israelites. He rescues us. And how does he do this? How were the Israelites rescued? They were rescued by grace. And when it comes to the Old Testament, you'll never get a clearer definition of grace than what we see here in chapter 14. And we see this with these words here, verse 13 and 14. This is God speaking to Moses. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. What God's saying is stand still. God's going to rescue you. You, Not you. You can't make your rescue happen. You can't contribute. You can't do a single thing for your deliverance. Just stand and watch and be silent. And that is an amazing description of grace. We cannot do anything for our own salvation. Nothing. And God also offers us salvation or rescue to those who least deserve it. See, the Israelites, they didn't deserve it. They just, they wanted to go back to Egypt. (laughs) And God could have said, I'm so fed up with you. Go. (laughs) I'll do it with someone else. 
So to those who least deserved it, God rescued and they did not lift a finger to help themselves. And that is grace. Notice the other thing about grace. We not only see grace here, but we also see how grace works. Now, how does grace work? Grace works by crossing over, by not staying on the side of our slave masters under a sentence of death. You see, Pharaoh's coming to these Israelites and he's saying, we're going to get them, we're going to get them good, we're going to take them back into slavery, we're going to make them work twice as hard, we're even going to kill some of them. And that's what our old slave masters are saying. But on the other side of the sea, the Israelites were unreachable. Their old slave masters couldn't touch them. How did that happen? It's because they crossed over. And that's what we do when we come to Jesus and we ask Christ to be Lord of our lives. And when we do, he reaches down and we're saved, we're born again, and we cross over. And so our old slave masters become powerless. Now, we've still got to be part of that, but God has broken our old slave master's hold over us. Now, in many respects, Christianity is so different to other religions because they did not lift a finger for their salvation. Other religions would have said, well, here you are at the sea. What you have to do is go out there and sink some pylons down and build up there. And then you sink another pylon down and you build there. And once you get to a certain distance, you yourselves will be saved. So all other religions, in one way or another, say, you've got to get to a certain standard before you're saved. And then the deity will think about it, and maybe if you're lucky, you will be. Do you notice the difference? The Israelites weren't in a position to build a bridge, but every other religion would have asked them to do it. God miraculously parted the waters, and they walked through on dry land. And it's like that for us. So many people come to Christ and they kind of want to get in, kind of don't. They want the salvation, but they don't want to cross over and give Christ our everything. Now, not only does the Red Sea show us what grace is, but it also shows us something about faith. Faith. See, Moses stretched out his staff and the water piled up on the right and on the left and they could travel through dry land. Who do you think was the first person to step out with the threat of that water dropping down on top of them. Now, I'm sure there would have been a few that had very strong faith, who strided out confidently with the piles of water on either side. And they said, God's on our side. He did all those plagues and miracles in Egypt. I'm looking forward to seeing how God's going to defeat the Egyptians today. And they would have walked across as if it was a four-lane highway. But I suspect most were walking very nervously (laughs) across there. In fact, I'm sure some of them were going step by step thinking, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Today, I'm going to die. (laughs) But do you know, either way, whether they had great confidence or little confidence, each one of them crossed over and was saved. So even the scaredy cats, (laughs) even the ones with little faith, and those with great faith, they crossed over and they were saved. And so it reminds us that it's not the quality of our faith or how strong our faith is that matters. It's where we put our faith. That's what counts. It's not just those that have strong faith that are saved. It's those that have weak faith that are saved as long as the faith that you have is put in Jesus. Do you see the point? 
Whether they had strong confidence that the water was going to stay up or weak confidence, the fact is they crossed with what little faith they had and they were all equally saved. Those that had strong faith were saved just as much as those with a weak faith. The point is they trusted in God and they moved. So how were the Israelites rescued? By grace. And we see it here so wonderfully, but also we've seen something about how faith works. What little we have, we put in faith in Christ and we are saved. And this brings us to our last uh, last question. Why were the Israelites saved? Why could the Israelites be saved? Well, it's because they had a mediator and that mediator was Moses. In verse 15, chapter 14, verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel will go through the sea on dry ground. If there was no mediator, there would have been no parting of the Red Sea and the Israelites would have been recaptured and slaves again. The reason why they weren't slaves or recaught was because they had a mediator. And that was Moses. And he did this here and he did that time and time again. He mediated between the people and for God. And when it comes to being a mediator, there is no other person in the Bible, no other person in the Old Testament, I should say, that was a better mediator than Moses. In the Old Testament, he was the man. Deuteronomy chapter 34, this is the end of the Pentateuch. The first five books of the, of the Bible were written by Moses. Uh, and this is the very end. I would suggest to you that an editor added this to him because Moses was a little on the dead side when this happened. So someone must have picked up his scrolls and thought, oh, I might just end this nicely for, for Moses. Anyway, this is how it all ends. Deuteronomy 34 from verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh to Pharaoh and all his servants and to all his land. And for the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. So no one in the Old Testament was a mediator like Moses. And this is not the half of it. For though the Israelites drove Moses to despair and frustrated Moses beyond belief, Moses, he stuck with them. And not only that, he offered to lay down his life for the Israelites. Now let's jump ahead a few months in the story to when Moses receives the Ten Commandments. And you may be familiar with the story. You know that Moses goes up on the mountain and he's there for 40 days and 40 nights receiving the Ten Commandments and the other laws. And then after 40 days and 40 nights, he comes down. But he comes down to chaos because in that time, the Israelites grew restless. And they made for themselves an idol, a golden, what was it? A golden calf. And so when Moses came down the mountain, they were having a party. They were having a worship session. They were worshipping the golden calf. And Moses is appalled. And we know the story. He smashes the stone tablets in his anger. And God kills 3,000 Israelites that day. And we pick up the story in Exodus thirty-two twenty. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord. So he climbed back up the mountain and he said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. 
They made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. And Moses, though he was completely innocent, he said, punish me for their sin. If you need to, kill me instead of killing the Israelites. Moses, the great mediator of the Old Testament, was willing to lay down his life for God's people. No wonder there was no one else like Moses in the Old Testament. And of course, all of what Moses did in this situation, it points to someone beyond himself, doesn't it? It points to the true and the better mediator. Moses foreshadows a great mediator who was to come. Now Moses, what were his qualifications? Well, he was fully man and he was close to God. In fact, he's called in the Bible the friend of God. But the true and the better mediator was fully man and fully God. Not just a friend of God, but fully God. And unlike Moses, man, Moses had his faults. I mean, he murdered someone. This doesn't look good on your CV. Mediator, murderer. Now, it doesn't work well. <laughs> he wasn't perfect, Moses. Wasn't perfect. And we'll see this as we journey through Exodus. He gets it wrong. But the true and the better mediator never got it wrong. He was innocent from the day he was born to the day that he died tragically. And, of course, Jesus is that great and true mediator who was to come. Can you see how wonderfully the Exodus story points to our rescue and our salvation? For Jesus, our mediator, gave his life on the cross. He took our punishment upon himself. Moses was up on the mountain. And Moses said, look, if you need to, kill me so that the Israelites will live. And God said, no, that's not necessary. And, and Jesus had that same conversation. Lord, you know, if you need to, kill me so that your people can live. And God said, yes, that is the way. For we're saved out of what? We're saved out of slavery. We are saved how? We're saved by grace. Why? Because we have a mediator, a true and better mediator, that is Jesus. You know, one of my go-to verses is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Moses went up to the mountain to pray for the Israelites, and in a true and a better way, Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. I mean, the Holy Spirit lives in Christians, and he makes Jesus alive to us, and it's wonderful. But where's Jesus now? He's on the right hand of God praying for you and I. Isn't that amazing? He's praying for you and I. And sometimes we're as stubborn as the Israelites. <laughs> but Jesus is still at the right hand praying for you and I. This is the good news of the gospel. Isn't it wonderful news? We are saved out of what? We're saved out of slavery to sin and death. We're saved how? By grace. We cannot lift a finger to save or to rescue us. Why are we saved? Because Jesus is our true and our better mediator, to whom we bow our knee and gladly worship. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing rescue of the Israelites away from the Egyptian and how you parted the Red Sea. And Wow, Lord, that's an amazing story. But we also thank you how that story points to your rescue for us through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to know that we are rescued May you work in our lives that freedom from bondage, freedom from slavery. 
Help us, Lord, to turn a deaf ear to those old slave masters that still keep calling. Lord, help us to be able to resist that as we keep fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us, Lord, to live our utmost for your highest. Through Jesus' name we pray and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.